Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Advent is the beginning of a new lectionary year, and so we've turned to Luke, and Luke's gospel will be our companion for this church year going forward. So it's a good time to take a moment to think about what sets Luke's gospel apart from the other accounts we have of the salvific work of Jesus in his ministry. Luke, scholars tell us, uses more sophisticated Greek than Mark and Matthew. Scholars tell you that. I don't read Greek. I don't know. But that's what they tell me, and that's what I've read. And that suggests that perhaps Luke was more educated than the authors of Mark and Matthew's Gospels. And also, it means that Luke's Gospel might have been more available to Greco-Roman citizens, to folks whose primary language was Greek, to people who weren't familiar with Hebrew and with the Jewish traditions. And today's passage is an example of how that comes through in what Luke writes. Because Luke begins this passage with this setting of the scene, using the historical markers of the people who were in power in the Roman Empire. It's the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius. And here are the governors who were governing over all of these places. And if you were a good Roman citizen, this would feel very familiar to you. This isn't unlike the way Emperor Tiberius's story would have been told. He was born in the such and such year of the emperor, and he came to power in this year, and da 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 da. And so he puts it in that kind of a Greco-Roman historical thing. This is a real account of a real man who really lived, and here's the year that it happened. And you can go back and compare this to the records of the emperors and all the various governors who are named to come up with the year in which Luke is saying this happened. But at the same time, Luke is definitely responsive to a Jewish audience, to folks who had studied the prophecies, who grew up reading the Hebrew scriptures, who were expecting this Messiah. And we see that in today's passage too. Because if you were such a person who had grown up studying the Hebrew scriptures, who had went to temple school, who knew these passages, you would recognize in the person of John the Baptist a prophet in the tradition of all of the Old Testament prophets who had gone before. In fact, John kind of stands between the Old Testament and the New Testament in his role, especially in today's gospel. You would see in John a prophet like the one that Malachi is describing. You would see in John a prophet like Isaiah who's quoted in this passage you would recognize his ministry as the next step in a long tradition of prophets going ahead to prepare the way, to declare that God's word is breaking into the world. But Luke turns some of these expectations upside down, naming all of these emperors and governors. You might expect this passage to take place in a governor's palace, Naming the high priesthood, you might expect the action of the story to happen in the temple. 
all these governors and the emperors and all of their seats of power and their beautiful homes from which they rule. And yet, the word of God comes to John in the wilderness. In another parish at another time, I used to teach godly play with children. And when you do that, you memorize the stories of the Bible and you tell them to the children with some very simple little toys as sort of props to help them visualize the story. And wilderness stories are desert stories in godly play. And desert stories are really important. And we begin the desert stories in the godly play classroom by saying the desert is a dangerous place. And you might name the particular things that make the desert dangerous for today's story. You might talk about how there's very little food and very little water, how it's very hot during the day and very cold during the night and so it's hard to dress well, how the sand blows and moves and changes and so it's easy to get lost in the desert. This wilderness in which our story begins is such a desert. It's a dangerous place. And in godly play, we say, and no one goes into the desert unless they have to. And no one goes into the wilderness where John is found today unless they have to. And John is there because he has to be there to declare what God has sent him to do. The wilderness is a place of testing. We'll see that in a few weeks when Jesus is baptized and driven out into the wilderness to be tested, and he passes. And we saw that in the Old Testament when Moses and his generation after the Exodus are tested in the wilderness and they don't pass. And that whole generation passes away and a new generation is able to live into the promises that God has made. That generation, Moses and his peers, don't make it out of the wilderness. They don't pass the test. The wilderness is seen as the end of civilization. The Jordan River was the boundary. Everything on one side of the Jordan River is civilized. Everything on the other side of the boundary of the Jordan is uncivilized. And John is standing again with his foot on one side and the other, ready to bring what is happening in the wild places into the civilized places ready to bring this wilderness testing and the word of God breaking through into the civilized places. It is a place where people starved, where people faced madness, where people were thirsty, where people went if they couldn't fit into the civilized places. And it's from there that God's word breaks through. But it is also a place of renewal, a place where in godly play we would say God comes so close to God's people. God comes so close to God's people in the Exodus story. In the next chapters, after Moses and his generation pass away, God is with God's people in the wilderness and he is teaching them and training them and preparing them so that when they move out of the wilderness back into cities, they are ready to be that nation that God described, the one whose light will bring all nations in. The wilderness is a place of formation, a place where God prepares God's people for the next chapter in their work. And so it is a place where John stands to help form the people to recognize Jesus when he comes forward. And so this Advent, Luke and John the Baptist crying out in Luke, 
invite us into the wilderness, into the dangerous place, into the places where it feels like civilization has stopped, into the places of testing, but also into the places of formation, of renewal, of a recommitment to God's word breaking forth in our lives. In Godly Play, we wonder together at the end of the story. And so I wonder, what are the wildernesses that you are being called into this Advent? I wonder how you might help make sure all flesh sees the salvation of our God, as Isaiah described it. And I wonder what you might bring back to civilization when we celebrate together on Christmas. Amen.